This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Well, church, we are going to be continuing our study in the book of Luke, and we're going to be picking up in chapter 14. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can follow along for this morning's reading. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen to a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, So that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Will you pray with me now? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have made it possible for all these souls together week after week in this building to sit under the preaching of your word to us. We thank you for the way that you're working in our lives, for the immense grace each and every one of us who are in Christ have experienced through the work of your spirit ministering to us and illuminating your your word that we might come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Thank you for the salvation we have received, Father. And and Lord, I know that there are many here among us who have reasons to rejoice and we celebrate with them. And there are those among us who have reasons to mourn. Lord, we are standing uh, on the day of 9-11, remembering what took place so many years ago and how that has affected our, our nation. Lord, we remember right now those who were lost on that fateful day and the results of what followed. So many were affected by that, Lord, and we, we want to remember them today, and we thank you for the grace that you have given each and every one of us. May their families, those who have been affected, both those who were there in the towers as well as those on the plains and, and those who ended up in the military and, and doing their work to fight against uh, such tragic things. May their families be honored and remembered today. Father, we think of Jill Monty and, and the loss of her dad, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd be with Jill and her family and Tom and uh, just console them and help us as a church just to love on them. 
We think of the Hosowitz family with the passing of Nancy, Lord, and just pray for them as she leaves loved ones behind. Thank you for her faithfulness, Lord. And may the, the two of them just rejoice in being with you now. Father, I pray that you would be with Pastor Aaron. He has spent this week in this text uh, praying and studying. And Lord, I, I believe that you've prepared for us uh, a meal that we need spiritually, Father. So use him, I pray, that, he would, that you'd use him in a mighty way to minister to our souls, uh, to call us to listen and to mature, and that uh, he would say nothing more or less than you have uh, given to him to say to us this morning. May your hand be upon him and upon us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, First Prize. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd ask you to have it open there to Luke chapter 14 as we return this fall back to the Gospel of Luke and continue the story of Jesus towards the cross. Friends, in life, it is important for one to have a proper understanding of themselves. An understanding of who they really are, what gifts they have, and what abilities they have. In fact, I would say this, that nothing is more destructive to the individual or to the community in which they live than one who truly doesn't know and understand themselves. Who they are, who they were created to be, and what they really need. And yet today we live in a world where we are told anyone can be anything they like. Today in the schools, children are being encouraged to fill out bios where they get to determine how they want to be identified. Children can determine whether they want to be a boy or a girl or even a furry animal. They can determine to be anything they want. So in the classrooms across America, rather than having children answering questions, today we have children barking and meowing and all types of nonsense. I bring that to your attention because this is an important issue. This isn't just goofiness or silliness. This has lasting effects upon the world in which we live. It will have lasting effects upon the generations that will follow in fact, I believe that's why Jesus, in his grace, actually took the time to have honest conversations with others, conversations about who they really are and who he really is. In our text this morning, we see Jesus accepting an invitation to sit down at dinner. He's sitting down with those who truly did not understand him nor themselves. And yet we see Jesus asking hard questions and we see Jesus making honest statements. Let's take a look at our text. In verses 1 through 6, we see Jesus expose man's legalism. We see Jesus on the Sabbath day dining at a house of a religious leader. But according to verse 1, it says they were watching him carefully. This wasn't because they were in awe of him. It wasn't because they were in tune to everything he was saying. No, it's actually that they were sneaking about, hoping that they could entrap him. Understand, this wasn't anything new for the Pharisees. Back in Luke chapter 11, verse 54, we read, they were lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. And Jesus knew it. Jesus 
was in full knowledge that he wasn't simply invited to dinner to spend time, but Jesus was actually going in to the den, to the war zone. He was going into the place to do combat. And yet he still accepted the dinner invitation. And why does Jesus do this? I'm a firm believer that Jesus does this out of a heart filled with compassion. See, Jesus understood it would be truly unloving to leave them where they were at. It would be truly wrong to ignore them or just let them be in their sin. According to Mark chapter 2, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So it's this, that we see Jesus continuing the conversation, even with those who were out to get him. It was out of a heart of compassion. And then we're told in verse 2, a a very important word it begins with. It says, behold. Behold, there was a man before him with dropsy. We need to understand that that word behold is is meant to shock us. It's meant to say all of a sudden. It's almost as though all of a sudden a mystery happened. But it wasn't a mystery. It wasn't by chance. This man was a plant by the Pharisees. And so Luke captures that with the word behold. There at this dinner, this special dinner of the Pharisees, in which they wouldn't be or want to be around with anything that was unclean. They invite this unclean man, this man who has disease, to be present. For what purpose? To capture Jesus. These are enemies, not friends. And yet Jesus willingly accepts this dinner invitation. And Jesus, seeing the situation, we're told that there on the Sabbath, all of a sudden, a sick man just happens to appear. The situation was a setup. And there they were watching him. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus break the rules? Would Jesus heal on the Sabbath? But see, Luke leads us in. Luke lets us know the disease that this man had. This man had dropsy, which was the buildup of fluids in the bodies. This was dangerous both to the kidneys and to the heart. This was a very sick man, a man who could die. So for this man, it wasn't a game. This was his life. And here he was being used by these religious leaders to catch Jesus. But understanding the situation, Jesus responds. I draw your attention to verse 3 where Jesus responds by asking a question. He asks the question that he knows is the heart of why he's there. Of the reason why all eyes are fixed on him. He asks the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Jesus says, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Is it lawful or not? We're told the Pharisees remained silent. 
They would not speak. Their eyes were fixed upon him. They were fixed upon his actions. And then we see in verse 4 that Jesus took a hold of the sick man and he healed him. And he sent him away. Friends, it's important to understand that Jesus sends him away because Jesus is saying, I know that this man was not an invited guest. I know that this man was a plant that you have put here. He was a pawn being played. But understand, I have compassion upon him. We see that as Jesus reaches out and touches the sick man, but doesn't simply console him in his suffering, but actually heals him. Jesus shows compassion in front of the religious leaders, a compassion they themselves never had. They were using the sick man as a pawn. But Jesus, he loved deeply. And then Jesus says in verse 5, hitting home, which of you having a son or even an ox that had fallen into a well on a Sabbath day wouldn't immediately pull him out? And notice he goes to the throat. Or maybe better said, he goes to the heart of the matter. Which of you, if this was your son, even one of your animals, wouldn't immediately go to his rescue? And we're told that they could not reply. The gotcha moment. The aha. Jesus hits them square between the eyes. He exposes their inconsistency. He exposes their lack of love. See, they were holding Jesus to a standard that they themselves were not willing to live. They were holding the law itself to a standard it did not intend. For the law of God was given to do good, not harm. The law of God is about acts of compassion, not commanding resistance from doing good. We all know the summary of the law. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind. And what? And to love our neighbor as ourselves. Which of you, he says, wouldn't immediately go to the rescue of your own child or even one of your own animals? Yet you use the sick man as a pawn. Which of you? See, the problem was these religious leaders were legalists. They added to the law of God. They added to the word of God. They, they added to the authority of God because they thought they knew better. They missed the entirety of purpose of the law. How often we do very much the same thing. We ignore what the word of God says, yet viciously add our own rules and expectations upon others holding others to the standards we ourselves do not even keep, nor does God require. How often we're just like the Pharisees. What contrast compared to Jesus' grace? What contrast compared to Jesus' compassion as he stands there in the midst of that room filled with his enemies? 
Understand that Jesus' compassion was not just aimed at the sick man who was sick physically. Jesus' compassion was aimed at those who were also spiritually sick. Jesus' compassion was aimed at those religious leaders as well. How do we know that? Because Jesus is willing to ask them hard questions. And Jesus is willing to engage with them and make honest, truthful statements. How many of us are are fearful to ask the hard question? Are fearful to make the truthful statement that needs to be made? On the other extreme, how many of us relish in the opportunity to speak harshly or to speak truth, yet we do it without love? See, that's the capturing moment for Jesus. Jesus speaks truth, but he always does it in love. So church, what about us? Are we willing to accept invitations to dine with our enemies? Are we willing to ask hard questions? Are we willing to make truthful, honest statements about the word of God, even when it's not convenient or comfortable? For the very purpose that others may understand God and themselves better? After all, isn't that the world we're living in today? A world that so desperately needs us to ask those questions. As a generation is being raised up to believe they can be whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. Yet all the while missing the fact that there is one who truly is in charge. That's why I believe Jesus continues the conversation at the table. In verses 7 through 11, Jesus now exposes their arrogance. Jesus turns the discussion towards the choosing of seats, to the places of honor. Jesus seeks to expose their arrogant hearts. Listen to verses 8 through 9. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Least someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who is invited, you both will come and say to you, give up your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lower place. We've all heard the phrase, fashionably late. There's some members of my own family that know that pretty well. But let me tell you that idea of fashionably late. That's not something new. It's something that existed even in the day of Jesus The idea of being fashionably late was the idea of of setting aside for the more honorable guests to come in second so that everyone would see them enter the room. Everyone would pay respects. And Jesus is warning those who are there at the table that someone more distinguished than you may actually arrive later than you and you may have to give up your seat to them. What he really does at the heart of it, he says, I'm warning you. Because this will begin your shame. What does he mean by that? Begin your shame. He's saying those who are arrogant and take the high seat will be disgraced. You'll be embarrassed. You're going to be humiliated. 
the very opposite of what you were hoping would happen by choosing the higher seat, you will be asked to get up and move to a lower seat. You'll be disgraced, embarrassed, humiliated. Friends, Jesus is just simply exposing their arrogance. He's exposing the arrogance of those who sought to trap him, those who invited him to this dinner party. One of the most mind-blowing things is that I believe that as this event took place, Jesus probably arrived early. Jesus, who is God himself, the creator of all, came as a servant. It would make absolute sense that rather than coming in a place of honor, Jesus probably came early and took the lowest seat. And as he sat there at the table, he watched one Pharisee after another come in, taking higher and higher seats. The king of the universe entered the room, and rather than honor him, they disgraced him by seeking to trap him. And so Jesus speaks, exposing their arrogance. See, Jesus calling each and every one of them to have a proper view of themselves. Jesus is calling them to be humble and not arrogant. He he tells them there, there there is blessing and benefit to humility. Listen to what he says in verse 10. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to your friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Friends, don't miss this. This was an act of kindness on Jesus' part. Jesus was exposing their arrogance. He doesn't do this simply to destroy them. He does this to help them. The book of Proverbs in chapter 16, verses 18 through 19 says this, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Therefore, it is better to be of a low spirit with the poor than to divide the spoils with the proud. When I read that text, I I think about the Tower of Babel. I think about the pride and the arrogance of man that they thought they could build a skyscraper to heaven. That they thought they were something. They began to view themselves as little gods. But God quieted them. God humbled them. And God will always humble those who need to be humbled. Church, I ask you, how often does your own arrogance get in the way of helping others? How often do we simply look down upon others rather than seek to correct them and help them? Help them to have a better understanding of themselves and a better understanding of God. How often do we run from the hard conversations rather than to engage? And how often when we engage, do we engage with love rather than contempt? Because that is the spirit of Christ. One who truly speaks truth in love. You may ask the question, why is the church still here? The world's falling apart. Let me tell you, we're here to be his witnesses. We're here to engage in the war and the conflict with the enemy, which is not our neighbor, but the devil and sin and death. We're to engage by asking those hard questions, 
by making those important statements of truth about who we are and who God is. We're to be ambassadors and beacons of light in a world that so desperately needs Jesus because it's so confused. Like those building the Tower of Babel, they really believe you can build and be whatever you want. Friends, let me say this clearly. When I was in school, it was very common for a teacher to ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And as a little boy, I probably wrestled with a lot of things. I want to be a fireman. I want to, I want to be a policeman. I want to be a doctor. But it's wrong when someone asks you, what do you want to be? You can be anything you want when you're incapable of being that thing. It's hurtful. It's destructive. It destroys. It doesn't produce life. It produces death. The truth of the matter is we're going to see the tidal wave of the effects upon the next generation from this sin. And church, I ask you, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to sit in contempt with our arms folded in disgust? If we do so, we're no better than those filled with pride. We need to follow the example of our Savior who met his enemy at the table, who spoke truth by asking hard questions and making truthful statements about who we are and who God is. But all the while, he did it in love. His goal was to see repentance. He came for the sick, for the broken, for the needy. What about us? Friends, I draw your attention to the last verse that was read today. Verse 11 says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, Jesus makes it abundantly clear we are not in charge. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that we are not the judge. But in fact, we all will be judged by one who's higher than ourselves. Therefore, it is better to humble ourselves than to be humbled by God. Church, Scripture is clear. There is one who is in charge, and we are not him. There was a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. He was the king of the south the southern tribe of Israel called Judah. Jehoshaphat had his own revival. He came to his own spiritual awakening. Jehoshaphat is quoted as saying in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6, these words, he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? You rule over all kingdoms of the nations. In your hands are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. I remind you, this was a king himself who humbled himself and recognized who truly was in charge. He understood that God ruled and that God would judge. The apostle Paul makes it clear that Jesus is God, 
and that Jesus will rule in Colossians 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We belong to the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It's about time we bow our knee in humility and submit to King Jesus. Church, we need to seek to have a right understanding of ourselves and a right understanding of our Savior. For if we're to be any help to anyone, we must be humble. After all, isn't that the understanding of salvation? Jesus taught clearly on humility. Jesus taught clearly that salvation came to the humble. The very doctrine of salvation is by grace alone. The Apostle Paul carries that message in Titus chapter 3 when he says, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. But then he goes on, so that being justified by his grace, being declared innocent because of his kindness, we might become heirs. Church, do you understand the, the, the beauty and the privilege of what it is to be a child of God? To have access to the throne room of heaven so that we are told we can come boldly, that we can ask whatever it is that is laid upon our heart, as long as we ask it in his name, for his glory, for his purpose, it will be done. And yet we sit back, and in our pride we judge others, forgetting all the while how we ourselves have been saved by grace. So church, I ask you, do you, do you know your need for grace? Have you humbly come to receive the salvation that Jesus alone can offer? If not, I appeal with you today to do just that. And if you have, remember as you approach your enemies the grace you yourselves have received from Jesus Christ. Yes, he spoke truth, but he spoke it in love. His goal was repentance. Church, we live in a fallen world where evil is called good and good is called evil. But one day, all will be set right because King Jesus will return. The question for each and every one of us is, are we humbly submitting to King Jesus' rule? Are we aligning to his purposes or are we expecting him to align to ours? My prayer is that we would know the grace and the compassion of King Jesus the one who is the truly great physician, the one who truly heals hard, stubborn hearts. And that after we know him, we may seek to care for others as he has cared for us. 
May we be willing to engage with our enemies. May we be willing to ask hard questions and make honest, truthful statements about who we really are and who God perfectly is. In Acts chapter 4, we're reminded that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved. King Jesus, King Jesus, King Jesus. He is our Lord. He is our Redeemer. And he is our hope. But not ours only. He is the hope of the entire world. Church, may we be the light and the salt we've been called to be and speak truth in love. Let's pray. Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from a text in which we see Jesus engaging with his enemies, enemies who were, who were setting a plot to trap him, enemies who were, who were seeking to, to cause him hardship and difficulty and even death, and yet he was willing to sit at their table. He was willing to dialogue. He was willing to question. He was willing to call to repentance. God, may our hearts be soft May we come in remembrance of the grace we ourselves have received as King Jesus has come and invaded us, taking over our hard hearts and replacing them with soft hearts. May we never minimize our sin. God, may we be a thankful people. May we be a humble people. May we truly remember all that has been given unto us. May we thank the Lord for the people he's placed in our lives who came to terms themselves with who he is and who they were so that they could share that truth with us, so they could ask those hard questions of us. And God, may we carry that forward as we do the same. God, may we speak truth in love. May we see all that has been gifted to us. And may our hearts be filled with gratitude as we seek to speak to a world that desperately needs to know who's king. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.